Hello everyone and welcome back to Ear Read This. Following on from his appearances on my episodes on the first and second part of Henry VI, today I have an extended interview for you with my special guest, Owen Horsley. Owen is a theatre director who has worked for the RSC on productions of Richard II, Henry IV and Henry V. We spoke during quarantine last year about The Wars of the Roses, a two-part adaptation of the Henry VI plays which Owen is co-directing with Gregory Doran. You can find links to Owen's website and Twitter in the episode description box below, along with the RSC page for The Wars of the Roses, currently scheduled for 2022. I started off our conversation by asking Owen whether it had been important whilst adapting the plays to elect a central character. Yeah, I think, I mean, the great thing about doing theatre is that you, the ensemble quality of a play works much better than it would in a film, for example. In a film, you kind of need that person that you're following, whereas in theatre, you can shift that person quite a bit. And this play feels like it does shift a lot. But there are just priorities that you have to make for the audience because, you know, you're looking at three plays. It's almost like a piece of music. You have to really know when you're going to place someone at this and when that person's theme is going to come out and then when that theme diminishes but it might come back later on you've got to be quite um aware of when characters are coming in and out of prominence and how 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 long can a can an audience take when a character is being left out of the loop for too long um and what we've done is to split it into two evenings so we're not doing part one part two part three as separate plays we're doing a a new adaptation so it's going to be over two evenings so it, it, you do have to find a new piece of music to cover that particular adaptation there's certainly passions from me to to bring Henry VI to the foreground a little bit more especially at the in the first in the first evening it's really important for me so but that's also to do with so we're having two intervals in each evening and part of that creating the, the, the music of it is to know what to leave the audience with when they go for an interval. So do you leave them with an image of, of Henry or do you leave them with the arrival of Margaret? So it's also to do with the time that they have away from the, the production to come back and remember it. So it's, I mean, it's all those things that you don't really know until you have an audience there, but it's fun to imagine. So do you start with deciding on a particular version to go with or do you start with cuts there's been so many different versions of course like the plantagenets the war of the, the roses john barton peter hall there's been um rose rage as well by propeller so like lots of people have done their own versions i kind of very very instinctively at the beginning just went i am not going to read any other versions until i've done what m- my gut version is because I just wanted to, I just wanted to know from my instincts what I felt was the best way to shape these plays, and and we knew that we wanted to to invest in part one, but not to give part one the same running time or the same stage space as parts two and three. Uh, so we kind of viewed part one as a bit of a prequel, something mm-hmm. to get us into the kind of more the meat of part two and part three. So it was something that I did to so like. November, December, January last year and this year, it was just me basically in a room just going through all all the plays, making cuts, making trims, making changes, making additions. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, when you're engaged with it, you're not, you're not really thinking of how I'm doing it. You're just kind of doing it. 
and also again it, it does come back to practicalities as well sometimes because you do kind of go we've got this many actors yeah. and this has to be the running time roughly and you are kind of going like you know 900 lines an hour kind of thing you know you're kind of timing it in your head of like how how much how long it's going to take and the first cut I did was absolutely brutal mm. like I just took the chainsaw to it and just like slashed it and then over time it was more a case of like adding things changing things but the way that we structured it was it's now not kind of in an act one or two three whatever structure it's now a play with 51 scenes right across yeah. both across across both yeah both evenings yeah. i think the first evening is maybe 30 scenes and the second one is a little bit less um mm. so that becomes our structure is that becomes a scene structure for one big thing as opposed to thinking about acts or anything like that yeah because i guess that must be pretty hobbling to try and keep five acts when you're yeah yeah, yeah. you kind of can't you you have to create a kind of new a, a new structure and it's why it's so interesting I and mean, it's so exciting to you know touching wood that we can get into the rehearsal room next year and you know you mm. when you're basically creating a new structure to a piece to a story to an epic story there's so much you're going to learn by just doing it but also in terms of putting it in front of an audience and then just instinctively knowing what's landing and what's not landing so and when you say you made additions is that new writing or is that imported bits from here and there it's not it's not there's no new additions in terms of new writing it's to do with things that I might have taken away in my brutal cut that I've gone, actually, we need that. Uh, a few reallocations, for example. So a, a, a lot of what I did in the latter part of the process was to, to try and combine lords. Mm. You know, you know we, there's over 200 characters in these plays <laughs> and I've got it down to about 80 characters. So a lot of characters, like three lords have become one lord. Because, and, and that, you know, we love Shakespeare, but Shakespeare sometimes can be very unhelpful with like, in part three, he just introduces the Lord from nowhere and we have no real connection to him. And also sometimes he has, a, he has the same name as someone that we've met before. So we're completely yeah. confused who that person is. So I've kind of gone, well, let's make sure that we give the actors a really good through line so that I can combine three characters and make one actor play him and, and, and treat him as like one person. So we give one person the narrative. So that was a huge, huge thing. Challenge to me to kind of be like, okay, so we've got to get this, we've got to get this cast list down because it's epic. <laughs> yeah. um, so what, what else are, are you able to do in, in, in pre-production? Have you, is, is the sort of, do you have an idea for the design of the show or is it helpful to leave that? No, we've got, we've got, we've got ideas for the design. So, I mean, you can see on the RSC website in terms of if you go and book your tickets that um, we're, we're completely changing the formation of the Swan. So I'm, I don't know if you know the Swan Theatre, but it's a beautiful, beautiful theatre and I've worked there many times. It's, it's what I would describe as a warm hug of a theatre. It's like a beautiful place for the actors to play. It's also a beautiful place for the audience to sit and see a very intimate piece of classical work. But that play, this play doesn't really need that. We don't, we don't want it to be an intimate hug of a play. This is the most bloody and, and, and gruesome part of British history. So we wanted it to feel a little bit more unpredictable. Mm. And we wanted to make sure that the swan felt like you were walking into something that was epic. So we've kind of taken we've taken the stage right across the seats at the front 
uh, and we've created a kind of arena seating so that it's like a it's a bit like a bear pit basically mm. so that the the first gallery kind of lit the kind of arena seating meets with the first gallery and we have these different entrances for the actors which the audience will be looking down on and also we'll have people promenading around the space as well so there'll be people standing mm. in the bear pit we're amongst the actors and we have the actors on um on platforms and things like this so it's going to feel like you're really in the thick of the um, the action Great. Um, and just it, to just that sense of unpredictability like when you walk into this theater you're like oh what's going to happen here and you have you have six hours of theater to create in one space so you mm. you really have to think about you're thinking about design you're thinking about how can we vary and find different dynamics within this space so a lot of the work that we've done kind of scene by scene is kind of going maybe the scene the space can change here maybe there's an entrance that we can explore here but i think the major design element is what we've done to the swan and what we're going to do to it that sounds so interesting and and it's am i right in thinking it's the sort of sort of coming to the end of this epic project with the rsc which has been all of the history plays in 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 chronological order and were you involved with the from from Richard II? Yeah, so I was um, I was an assistant on Richard II in mm. 2013. And that's when I joined the company. And then I became an associate on the Henry IVs and Henry Vs. And then we toured them to China and to New York. And that ended in 2016. And then Greg asked me if um, I wanted to co-direct the, um, the War of the Roses with yeah. him. And then, uh, you know, it will, it will, undoubtedly go forward to deal with a certain king um to yeah. end uh, it would be very foolish of us not to so that's also that's also in the pipeline as well and do you when when you're is it worth even at the beginning of wars of the roses having a uh, gesture of last time on the plantagenets kind of thing or is it just no no this is this play you either came or you didn't previously on um no yeah. it, it well it does start with the death of Henry V. So you kind of are given the opportunity to think about what has been. And, yeah. you know, it's the beginning scene of this play is, you know, hyperbole at its best in terms of how great he was. But we, we definitely will feature a symbol of, a, certainly a symbol of Henry V at the beginning of this. So we can mm. kind of get a sense that, again, it's so interesting, but it's a cycle, isn't it? The cycle of kings. That's what we're really interested in, how one dies and never one emerges and how does that person emerge so um yeah we'll definitely we won't do quite a previously on but we'll definitely um we'll definitely pay a, a very kind of strong nod to the world of henry v um and when it comes to you've already mentioned i was i was going to ask you how how you track all of these history historical characters and all these dukes and all these richards etc etc is it useful for you and is it useful for the actors to look at who those people were in reality or is it easier just to stick to the text consider it as a text and not begin to look at chronicles or i think it's always really useful to do that to do that research i think it's useful i think um a new book about henry the sixth that's just come out which is um um i want to say lauren johnson lauren johnson i think yeah it is uh, shadow yeah. king yeah, yeah so i've been reading that i mean that's always really fascinating because of course I'm just very interested to know about, you know, how this young boy grew up before we meet him. And there's obviously so much stuff about Richard III. But 
we've got to remember in, in the play text of it, these characters are encountering, they're encountering a predicament or they're in a predicament and it's a predicament, mm. a situation that we need to play. So we can't play historical research because, you know, uh, you know, I can't, I can't start the day and be like, well, I've got to, you know, be paying attention to the research I've done on this day. It's, they've got to be present and they've got to be present tense. And Shakespeare is great at writing very present tense situations and incredible predicaments. They, they encounter incredible things. And that's what we want to see on stage. And that's what the actors need to connect themselves to. It, it's wonderful to read the research, but it feels to me, having worked on the histories, that Shakespeare is so keen to humanize the histories in some way. Mm. You know, his human insights are kind of astounding, I think. Is continually and and also there's a there's a wonderful I could say it again there's a wonderful kind of cyclic quality to the language of you know um, Henry Fourth and you know the crown being heavy and that kind of being somehow a, a kind of reference to Richard the Second talking about the crown and we have this these kind of repeated images. Um, of what it must be like to be a king, a different king in a different world. And it's the insights, the human insights that I'm always drawn to, as opposed to accurate history, because of course it isn't accurate history. It didn't start off as accurate history, no. No. <laughs> no um, do you have a, a, a sort of favourite performance or a favorite, uh, of Henry VI? Uh, you know what, I've, I've, I've never seen it. Really? <laughs> never seen it. Never seen it. I was um, well. I was very luckily on 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 a job on tour when they did it at the RSC last time. So I wasn't around in London to or in Stratford to see it. I've you know I've I've watched wonderful BBC versions and like you know War mm. of the Roses, um, but I've never sat down in a theatre and watched it in front of me. Which because um, again, like you say right at the beginning, they're not really done that much. No, especially not in sort of all three. No, exactly. So, I mean, it's, you, you kind of don't really, yeah, you don't really encounter them as much as, as you would. Do you think there's been a particularly successful, um, I know you said you avoided all truncations and, 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 and versions of putting them together, but just across the history plays as a whole, obviously there's been things like Chimes at Midnight and The Hollow Crown, are there any standout versions to you if you've if you've looked at any um, since putting your version together? I mean, I love Chimes at Midnight. I think that's just yeah. marvel and beautiful. It's it was something that I've watched a lot when we were doing the Henrys, uh, Henry Fours, and um, it's beautiful. I I have to say, I really did. I really enjoyed the Hollow Crown they did on the BBC. I really, but I thought the best one was definitely the Henry Sixes. I thought that was just. Mm fantastic brilliantly done i think in a way it's because they are slightly more filmic than the other ones you know mm. it has a directness i think which lends itself to that kind of adaptation and you know since having done my edit like i have read obviously the like john barton version where and peter hall when they have made additions they have actually so you know at the beginning of that one they have a whole speech talking about henry the fifth and that kind of they kind of really go into that in more detail um, I think uh, Greg and I were just, uh, I don't really think that there needs to be any more text added, to be honest. And I think audiences now are so visual. And I think there's, some, there's something quite simple about this text in a brilliant way. 
I think it can cut through into an audience quite quickly. And I don't really want to, I want to keep that kind of undiluted. I don't want to add anything that, you know, I, I don't want to add any political points that I've got to make or anything like that. I just want to let the, the play speak for itself. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, obviously, I, I wasn't quite sure, was was War of the Roses always planned for next year? Has it been affected at all by quarantine? I mean, all theatre has. In- no, we were supposed to be in, we were supposed to be in week eight. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so it's, I talk about this with, um, lots of passion and love, but it's also very sad because, you know, we, we had planned to go into rehearsals on July the 27th. So it's, um, it's not, it should be happening now. Yeah. Um, oh. But you know, like the, you know, the, you know, everyone's had horrible things to have to deal with. And we, we hopefully will be able to say that we can go into rehearsals next year at the same time and mount it this time next year. So fingers crossed that's gonna, what's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, is there a is there a, a roadmap for sort of like a back to a, some kind of a normal for this for the RSC at the moment? Because I know it's been absolutely chaotic. It's really difficult because no one's ever done this before. I think there are lots of confusing things going around. I think I think there's an element of not really understanding from a government point of view how theatre is actually made, mm. um, which is frustrating. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I think it's very much trying to be safe, look after our audiences, look after our artists, and basically try to use our imaginations as much as possible. And the great thing is, you know, the audience appetite for theatre is 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 almost grown as it's been taken away. Like the absence has definitely made the heart grow fonder in terms of what I hear from audiences and the connection to the RSC and then the desire to be back in the building. Um, And that's only gonna grow. And I think the work that we come back with will be testament to that. But also it's really good, it's not good, but it's an opportunity at the moment for us to rethink some theatrical models. We don't, you know, that's to do with everyone's life at the moment. It's the time we've been given can be used as an opportunity to to stop and think and reflect. I think on a on a positive note, theatres are doing really good work to to think about the world, the way that theatre is made mm. in this country and in the world. It's it's interesting that you you, you meant, we've mentioned how infrequently these three plays are performed as a whole. Um, one of the only only times I've other than old versions. Um, that were recorded the, the only times I've, I've seen it come together live has been during lockdown with things like um show must go online who mm. by by the virtue of not having venue costs and marketing responsibilities and that kind of thing are able to po- do the whole thing because it's it's depending on just people doing what we're doing now so no it's great it's really um i think i think rob and his team have done such a great job doing that I think it's 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 an amazing thing that they've done and I, I did the introduction to I think part three I think I got asked to do the introduction to that and it was just great it's just great to keep the imagination of theatre alive in this format and I've done a few plays now on zoom and it's good it's it's, it's using a different part of your imagination it's using a different part of our skill as storytellers but it's yeah. um great that it's in, there's lots of you know we're, we're using our imagination we're being creative it's a bit of a melancholy reflection but it, it does seem quite 
coincidental that these plays, especially these ones in the sort of 50, 1590s-ish, will have been put on by people facing slightly similar um, circumstances with plague and deciding, oh, we can't use the theatres, what do we do instead? It was something that happened during Shakespeare's time in terms of, mm -hmm. you know, theatres being shut down, sometimes because of plague and illness, sometimes because of censorship, you know. We've just not gone through that. We've not had that experience ever in our life of something being taken away from us in that way, like our livelihood, our passion. Um, and it's really hard. It's really, really hard. It's really difficult. And I think everyone's doing really well. Mm. <laughs> well, Owen, thank you so much for, um, for, for talking to me. It's been, it's been great. Um, I just want to, sorry to put you on the spot, but since we are a, a book podcast, um, yeah. I'd, I'd like to end by asking guests if they have a book recommendation it can be tied to today's um subject matter um or anything else you've been you've been reading of late um okay i know we've we've mentioned a couple as well we've mentioned lauren johnson's book yeah, yeah. it, um, it won't be connected i have I, so um, the books i read so i my favorite book in in the world is is what is a secret a secret history donna tart which is one of my favourites. And um, also, I'm a big fan of Anthony Burgess's novel, A Dead Man in Deptford. Yes. But that's a little it's bit Marlowe, more... of course. Yeah. They're both kind of like, they're both kind of classical. But um, yeah, that book for me is a, is a, is a really... Um, is, is just a book that I just love. And uh, Christopher Marlowe is someone I just think is, is a bit of a hero of mine, just in terms of as a player, but also in terms of who he was and as a figure of that in that, in that particular period of history so yeah those two books i love brilliant well thank you so much i may have to invite you back to talk about marlow more because he's someone we've 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 covered at once so far but um i'd love to talk about him more that would be a joy thank you very much thank you and that just about wraps it up for today thank you so much once again to owen horsley who you'll hear more from in the upcoming episode on part three keep an eye out for the wars of the roses next year you can find more information about the play in the episode description box below Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, happy reading. Mm -hmm.